the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. FM 96.1. North County. AM 1170. San Diego. The answer. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. It's all I want. She's blonde, 5'2". It's all I need, yeah. And 102 pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. This is my America. This is Justin Hardin for Andrea tonight on this President's Day special broadcast. I hope you really enjoyed the time we got to spend last hour with Steven Stutter. That was just so incredible. Uh, I'm sure you have more questions on a future show. I will absolutely phone him back in so we can get his take. Those are really insightful moments. I love that. I And I love these stories. I so wish I had different stories about our president today, President Biden going over to the Ukraine, embracing President Zelensky. You know, usually when a president makes a secret visit across seas is to visit our troops who are actually supporting him and his policies. No, instead, he had to go to the proxy war front and make a stand there. I... It just upsets me, and I don't want to get too off base there because I, I think, um, I, I think he's being manipulated, and I think a lot of Americans have been manipulated when it comes to this war in the Ukraine. I mean, we knew this from the days of the Princess Bride. You remember that? The number one rule: never get involved in a land war in Asia. But somehow we've thrown that that knowledge out the door. And we're back at war there. I mean, we're so close to this thing. Uh, it just it blows my mind. You remember when the press went ballistic when President Trump would throw his weight around and somehow it would upset the powers that be in South Korea or China or Russia, or wherever else there. And they would say, oh, my gosh, we're so close to war now. But here they are just rooting on our president as President Biden now, as he goes to war, admittedly, by proxy. I, I, I can't understand it. I don't know exactly where that's coming from. I don't want to. I'd rather be talking about raccoons named Rebecca. Do you know, do you know Rebecca the raccoon? You might not know this story, but I love it. It's President's Day. We're going back to the stories because I want to keep the memories of awesome things and fun things because there are some quirky little moments at the White House. You may not know this story. We're going to take you back to President Calvin Coolidge. Now, Rebecca was a raccoon, uh, and she was a beloved pet of President Coolidge. She, she didn't start out that way. She was originally intended, man, your stomach here. She was originally intended as to be served at, at, at Thanksgiving dinner that year at the White House, a raccoon. But when President Coolidge set his eyes on her, I guess this was before the days that they pardoned turkeys, he pardoned Rebecca. He couldn't bear the thought of such a 
cute and lively animal being turned into his meal. So Rebecca became a pet to the president and his wife, Grace. And Rebecca would roam the White House and like any good raccoon causing mischief, stealing personal items. She had a particular penchant for cigarettes and handkerchiefs, apparently, and she would often hoard those in her den. I, I don't know where that den was, but that 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 always brings a smile to my face. She became a real a, a beloved fixture at the White House. She had her own special room to sleep and play, but it, it wasn't just the first family that loved her. Uh, visitors to the White House were charmed by her antics. Uh, celebrities would come and take poses with her. She was so popular. Get this: it inspired a line of toys and merchandise. Children all over the country could purchase their own stuffed version of Rebecca the Raccoon. She even made a, a few appearances in cartoons on the big screen. So, sadly, Rebecca's time at the White House was cut short when she bit a White House gardener causing a minor injury. Don't worry, they, they didn't put her down. The incident sparked concern about the potential danger of keeping a wild animal as a pet. No, duh. And the president reluctantly agreed to send Rebecca to the National Zoo. But her legacy lived on. She became uh, a part of the, the White House history and a symbol of President Coolidge's love for animals. And now you know the rest of the story, as the man would say, right? That Rebecca the raccoon, my theory, of course, being astute observer of all things uh, Marvel Universe, that this was really, this was really Rocket the raccoon from guardians of the galaxy who got in a time machine and was making havoc there. I always like to envision Rebecca looking like rock at the raccoon, but uh, there's also, you know, a couple histories in our recent presidency. You may have heard that president Trump had a special button on his desk that he could press and someone would bring him a diet Coke, his favorite uh, soft drink of choice. Believe it or not, that was a resurrected button from previous years. So this was actually well into Lyndon B. Johnson in his term there. Uh, he loved Fresca, and he, too, had a special button. This uh, grapefruit soft flavor drink was first introduced in the United States in about 1965. He had a special button installed in the Oval Office, and someone on his staff would bring him a fresca when he wanted one. It was quirky and insignificant detail, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless there. But uh, yeah, that was kind of his thing. Did, did you know also President Reagan was a lifeguard? Uh, and, and you can picture this. I mean, he was, um, you know, even into his 50s and 60s, a, a very uh, well-built man uh, when the surgeons were, operating him on him after uh, the unsuccessful assassination attempt uh, by Hinckley. They commented on he's got the innards of a 20-year-old. They were surprised, right? Uh, but, but he was a lifeguard in 1927. Uh, he was a lifeguard at Low Park uh, in Dixon, Illinois. And uh, then when he was at the time, he was working his way through college. He was studying economics and sociology. That was what he did to to pass the time and make some money. Uh, and uh, at one point, I think during the summer, he saved 77 people from joining, from drowning. Yeah. Uh, and his, uh, in his memoir, what was called, I think, uh, An American Life, 
He reflected on his time of a lifeguard and how it shaped his views. He said, it was good training for the future. It taught me to stay cool under pressure, to take command when necessary, and to rely on my own good judgment and common sense. I love those stories. I wish we had more of those studies that, you know, I, yes, I know. I know what you're thinking. This is this is not the same story that President Biden tells when he was lifeguarding at the pool with corn pop and there was a chain and then something about his legs and his leg hairs. I, I didn't want to recount that. It's not even the same ballpark. All right. President Reagan definitely has. Uh, his lot saving 77 people over the course of a summer. Uh, insight, you know, from a lot of academics have proven, as we discussed with, with Stephen, that the presidency has become a little bit beyond its bounds. And, and lots of people have kind of pushed it that way. But they've all had kind of their own flair around this stuff, right? Uh, even George Washington, he, he was apparently a pretty good practical joker. Uh, one time... He convinced a young officer under his command to try try and catch a falling star by standing on a chair with a blanket. Apparently, it was a little bit of a hazing. The officer was left looking up to the skies with his blanket astride and a little bit of a fool. It was his playful side, right? Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, he was, like all good Illinoisans at the time, a great wrestler. And he was known to take on opponents twice his size. And he wasn't apparently, as someone said, he wasn't the most graceful wrestler, but he had a mean streak that made him hard to beat. Uh, and, and I think that sort of tenaciousness was what you saw a lot in Lincoln's tenure as president. Of course, of course the real tough guy was Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> Didn't know if you knew this. He, of course, you know him as a hunter and adventurer. But did you know he, he once got in a fist fight? with a congressman on the steps of the Capitol building, right? Yeah, you know, I, I go back, I, I, I love musical theater, and you know the musical Hamilton has its great lines in place, but it's also very deeply historic. Uh, I will clean this up for the audience, but at that one point when Hamilton gets up and he stands and he, and he says to John Adams, sit down, you blankety-blankety-blank, and I think if you know the musical, you know the... the uh, the, the rather uh, pernicious language that he uses to berate uh, John Adams. That's a direct quote that wasn't just made up. And so when you hear our politicians fighting tooth and nail, uh, you know, there's a good history of very, very good, awful debates, too, uh, but a lot of name calling, too, as well. Uh, and, you know, there's some some interesting stories from, for example, the life of uh, Barack Obama. He loved basketball and he played a pretty good game of pickup and he would invite staffers and they'd uh, they'd go three on three and he'd, he'd show them a good time there. And, and everyone had their own little quirks that they bring to the office. But I think we're going to have to sort of look at these things and understand exactly what transpired in these lives. Now, uh, in the next segment after the break here. I'm going to talk to you about my own experiences because I, I actually have a couple run-ins with uh, presidents of our lifetime, or at least my lifetime. And uh, th there's some interesting stories in there. I, I, I hope to have more. Don't, don't anyone say it. I'm not, I'm not running for office. I'm not going to do that. There's, there's no time. I got eight kids. How would I run for office? 
I can barely run for office of my own my own house. Jenny keeps me adored and loved and able to do these radio shows. Thank you. This is Justin Hart in for Andrea Kay. See you on the after side of the break. You're listening to somebody who tells it like it is. Andrea Kay on The Answer San Diego. Seen in the Senate Budget Committee this past week was a disappointing one, I think, for the American people. They seem to be in full-scale retreat from spending cuts and are talking about raising people's taxes again. When push comes to shove, I guess it's always easier to let the taxpayer take the fall. No matter... Well, let them be forewarned. No matter how well-intentioned they might be, no matter what their illusions might be, I have my veto pen drawn and ready for any tax increase that Congress might even think of sending up. And I have only one thing to say to the tax increasers. Go ahead. Make my day. (laughs) That's a great line. Of course, no one could deliver a line quite like President Reagan. We recounted a few of those already. And uh, I never got to meet President Reagan in person. I got to visit the White House uh, during his presidency, his second term. And I remember the little jelly bean dispensers they had in almost every room. That was kind of a little touch that he gave there. But I, I do have a personal story to relate. I never met him in life, but I did meet him in death. Not, not my death, obviously, but his death. When he died in 2004, his body was placed in the rotunda. Now, here's a, a little tip. If you ever find yourself in a fist-to-fist fight with moi, with me, you can easily defeat me very, very quickly just by punching my left thigh. Because I have, I have just a continual Charlie horse right there. You, you take that, I'm out for the count. My kids have learned that now, and, and that, that's very painful. But uh, it's, a, it's a bruise that I have to sort of, if, if I don't work out, then it comes back. And it's a bruise I, I actually got uh, from President Reagan. Again, didn't meet him in person, but what transpired was really interesting. He was uh, set in the rotunda for display. This was, um, he, he laid in memoriam there. And uh, crowds of people would come. Uh, I think in the end, it was it was near a million people would would file through the rotunda to pay their respects. And um, I I thought to myself, it was I was living in the D.C. area at the time. Still had a lot of kids at that time, and it's tough to pull yourself away to to do something that momentous that takes a lot of time because the lines were forming. So if, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. in the rotunda, that is the, the Capitol building, and then there is a long, la- long lawn that is you know leading up to uh, the Washington Monument, right? And so uh, on that, uh, that day out there, you would have to uh, traverse lines and lines and lines weaving back and forth that put anything that you've been through at Disneyland to shame. Okay. And so what you would do is you, you, you start way back almost at the, the, uh, the street right before the Washington monument on the mall, as we call it. Right. And then you would start the line and would weave and weave and weave. You were only 
given maybe 30, 40 seconds rotating through the rotunda. You received a commemorative sort of uh, nice embossed uh, note that said you had been there in commemoration of President Reagan. And it was a, a very respectful, but very somber, very moving event, actually. But I decided for the last night of the uh, the, the lying in repose there that I would, uh, lying in state, I would go to take my hand and do that. So I got there at midnight and I thought the crowds be gone. I'll be able to get there. Lickety split. No problem. Well, apparently tens of thousands of other people had the same idea I did and they were there as well. And so I clocked it just by eye. I kind of paced out uh, about another uh, minute, maybe a quarter, maybe seven rows of weaving back and forth on the mall getting up there very slowly. And I, I think it was about eight miles. It was my own, not disrespectfully, my own baton death march because by the end of it, my leg was hurting so badly. And there's, you know, I, I didn't bring a chair. So we kind of sometimes sat on the ropes, but I got to know the people around me very well over the next seven hours. I didn't get to the rotunda until 7.30 a.m. in the morning. And uh, my leg was was hurting so badly that I went home and kind of lay down. Uh, after a few weeks, I uh, I had there was this incident, and I was jumping a fence, and I literally dislocated my knee, and I dislocated my left knee because my leg was so tender and so worn from walking up and down. So I have this eternal injury that anyone listening to my voice will completely defeat me just by a light elbow tap to my left thigh. So keep that in mind. Almost worth it though, eh, Justin? Oh, uh, uh, totally worth it. Totally worth it. And great worth that story. Uh, At least it's worth four minutes here on the radio, which I love, right? We need uh, good stories to keep us going. Uh, I've had my other run-ins too. Uh, My father uh, actually was an advanced man for the Republican Party when I was just a babe. And apparently he impressed President Nixon so much that almost sight unseen or just like the first meeting or otherwise uh, gave my father the job of his appointment secretary. Now, this wasn't like a cabinet level appointment. My father was a young man, a young father. and They were living in the they, they would end up living in the D.C. area. And uh, for a few years, my father was President Nixon's appointment secretary. And uh, his office was right next to the Oval Office, if, if you could call it. In office. I, I've seen it. It's a cubby. I mean, Harry Potter had more room than my dad did in this little space here. A- and he would dutifully keep the, the logs of who went in and out and would, you know, set up the schedule for the day, work with his uh, administrative assistants and secretaries, the presidents to, to work that. And my dad had some great stories, which I won't recount. I do know one story, and I, I know it was told in the back of my brain or maybe my brain concocted it, but I'm putting it on the record right now because I love the story, which was my mom was visiting my father in that small little cubby. I was one or two years old, probably two years old, and I went wandering off into the Oval Office. My mom frantically searching around for me, peeks into the Oval Office where President Nixon has dutifully put me upon his knee and continued working. I like to think that's the story. I, I, I swear that was told to me one day, or maybe I conjured up. But, but anyways, regardless, that was one encounter I had with the president. I think I was all, I have a picture of me on Marine One, my little Lord Fauntleroy bull haircut. Thank you, Mom. 
and my plaid outfit. Very, very tasteful for that day for a two-year-old. But I was there on Marine One. So I, I have my, my little touch with um, with with greatness there, with uh, the, the Oval Office, the, the seat of power. But I remember just distinctly being so honored when we would go years later. I was 14 years old now. And my father had left government altogether. We were back in the, we were in the Bay Area where I grew up. And uh, we went down to Yorba Linda for the commemoration of uh, President Nixon opening up his library, his presidential library. And we stood in line, <laughs> another long line. Uh, I don't think I, uh, I lost my knee that time, but uh, we, we dutifully stood in line with, with thousands of other people to this special meet and greet with President Nixon out in the open. And I remember just being sorely impressed that President Nixon knew my father, spoke highly of him. And so I think one thing you miss is that the people that are around the president are deeply influenced by the trust that they put in the person. And it sets them on a trajectory for life. So if you ever get an opportunity to meet a president, to even work on a presidential campaign, or you know, stand in line in your own baton death march as they lie in state in the Aratanda. Don't miss the opportunity, no matter what the cost. This is Justin Hardin for Andrea Kay. You're listening to The Andrea Kay Show on The Answer San Diego. What it all boils down to is this. I want the new closeness to continue, and it will as long as we make it clear that we will continue to act in a certain way as long as they continue to act in a helpful manner. If and when they don't, at first pull your punches. If they persist, pull the plug. It's still trust, but verify. It's still play, but cut the cards. It's still watch closely. And don't be afraid to see what you see. I love that. Oh, I think I missed the last part there. But I'll tell you, there was no one who could deliver these lines. Oh, the last part he said, don't don't be afraid to see what you see. To see what you see, right? Yeah, look, you know, gosh, I look at this incident in Ohio. That's where President Biden should be. We had our friend Nick Sorter on the other night, you remember. Uh, That was last Thursday. Uh, Nick, good friend. He's there on site. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people, even good friends of mine who are chemists and in the industry, they tell me this was the right thing to do. All the spillage that happened, it had to go up there and you had to set it on fire. And uh, I, I don't know. Right. And I think trust what you see. Right. That big plume that went up in the sky. Uh, that made me question things. I, I can see with my own eyes that something is amiss there. When the, the friend, the, the, the woman that Nick befriended took him to her backyard. This is the video that went around the world. She throws a big rock into it. And all of a sudden, all that oily gook starts levitating to the top of that dirty river. I go, this is this is something else, right? Because it's one thing. It's like, look, it accident. It happened, right? Is this the right thing they should have done? And what aren't they telling us now, right? Yeah, 
it's a it's going to be a lot of things to bring back the trust. And I have to tell you right now, the the trust that I have in the government is pretty low, especially after these last three years. Those of you who know me know that uh, one of my big mantras, one of the things that I've been carrying to the bank uh, and making sure that they're not taking away anyone's bank accounts like they do north of uh, north of our our border like they did in Canada for those truckers is that you can have the data and details you know you can have so you can convince your local board your local county board your school board that the stringencies they put in place were wrong damaging and that something needs to be done to fix them because we're coming up on an anniversary here we're coming up on an anniversary of the 15 days to slow the spread, and then March 29th, 2020, which is a day that should live in infamy, and I mean that in that that uh, anecdote there. The, the National Mitigation Plan Against COVID-19, that 15 days to stop the spread that was about to expire, March 29th, Rose Garden Presser, President Trump declared that the lockdowns would continue for another 30, 40 days, and I tweeted... President Trump just lost the election. I was super saddened to bring that up front there. A lot of people took issue with me. I was a huge supporter of President Trump. I thought he was the right bull in the China shop at that moment. And yet, when it came to this issue, he got taken. I think he'll admit it at some point, but he hasn't yet. And I mean, with his 2024 campaign now in in full swing, he didn't mention or apologize for any of the lockdowns that he started. You know what's funny? I'm glad you bring that up, Justin, because Andrea and I talk about this on the show all the time. I really think what you just brought up is the key point. If he is going to win re-election, he has to admit that. I think you're right. I think you're right, Noah. And and. In, in fact, you know, when we go down the list of all the things that they've gotten wrong, and, and he'll admit to a lot of those things, but the last one being you know, the vaccine injuries that we're seeing. And I'm hearing on, on, on pretty good word that he's actually meeting with some of the doctors who have been up front there. But uh, look, he, he unleashed Pandora's box. It, it gave uh, leave for 50 governors, 3,200 unelected government officials, your health overlords, and 13,000 school districts around the country to set their own policy for the next three years. And for those, you know, 50, 60 days, he said himself, I- I'm in charge. I'm this is everyone should follow these leads. A- and I-, I think the only thing that's going to put Pandora back in its box, if it can, is going to be someone coming into the White House. And like we talked with Stephen there, trying to 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 sort of deflate. Uh, the role of the president while also using those powers to correct everything that was broke. (laughs) As the title of my book says, Gone Viral, How COVID Drove the World Insane. Someone broke America. And right now, uh, you know, President Trump, unfortunately, was the starting point of that. And I I don't mean a mill if it comes down to it and he's the nominee. I will likely support him. But I tell you right now, I'm, I'm really torn because I want some acknowledgement, right? There are lots of Team Apocalypse folks who uh, are now coming around. They've admitted the masks are don't work and probably harmful. They've admitted that the vaccines don't have the efficacy that they, they touted. They've admitted fully, everyone agrees, keeping children from school was a bad, bad decision. And, and those people are welcome to change their mind now, but I don't want them anywhere near 
public policy. That is that is my deal for amnesty for these folks. You're welcome to come. We welcome you to, as we call it, team reality. But the trade-off is you can't have influence on this again until we get things back and working. So that, I, it's a it's a difficult thing to really look over. But the immense power that has been in the executive branch can't be overstated. You you recall they were going to use OSHA, OSHA to basically mandate that every company that had a hundred employees or more had to vaccinate their employees or fire them. And of course they did that for our military. They've only now just rescinded that order. And in fact, we're in a big fight trying to get back pay for those officers and those enlisted men who were summarily dismissed and try to get those off their record. They've agreed to it, but uh, it, this is this is a disaster, right? Those stringent government policies that did incredible harm. I mean, just think about the number of fights that you witnessed over masking and how everyone agrees and all the literature de- designates, no matter how many mannequin studies you can do, that those masks probably did very little for there. Well, okay, look. Back to some presidential stories. I want to talk about that a little more. A little lighter fare. <laughs> we talked about the, the great joking nature of President Reagan. Here's one from President Lincoln. Uh, he loved to tell the story of a man who was involved in a tar and feathering by a mob. And when the man's young son saw him for the first time after the attack, he cried aloud in terror. Oh, Pa! Oh, Pa, what have they done to your chickens? You see, I try to lighten it. I don't. I'm a glass half full guy, Noah. I I, I know this is. We're gonna we're gonna have lots of time to talk about this, and the presidential election has just started up, so it's gonna be a little heated, right? William Harrison. All right. Well, here we we'll go right to, right back to COVID. Right. He was only president for 31 days. Reportedly, he caught cold-like symptoms as a result of walking out in the rain with no coat, and the doctor tried bloodletting. <laughs> that didn't work. This developed into pneumonia, and of course, it was right during this this whole hullabaloo. Why didn't he, if he had only worn a mask, everything would have worked out just fine. And then, of course, there was Andrew Jackson, seventh president of the United States. He cheated death so many times. Uh, it, it, was, it was crazy. The first time was when he was just 13 years old. He was captured by British soldiers during the Revolutionary War. He was ordered to clean the boots of a British soldier, and when he refused, the officer slashed at him with a sword, left him with a scar on his head that cared for the rest of his life, but he left him alive. Then in 1906, or sorry, 1806, he became embroiled in a bitter feud with a man named Charles Dickinson, who had insulted his wife, and they agreed to a duel. Dickinson sought, shot Jackson in the chest. But Jackson managed to stay on his feet, fire his own pistol, killing Dixonson instantly. Then there was a the time that Jackson survived an assassination attempt during his presidency. 1835, a man named Richard Lawrence approached Jackson as he was leaving the Capitol building, fired two pistols at him. Both guns misfired, escaped unharmed. Uh, toughness, quick reflexes, I don't know, sheer force of will, but something you know, is really interesting in the history of our presidents and how many times they have skirted death. But the president, as you can see, 
can hold your life in your hands, your kids' education in your hands, your business in your hands. Something like that has got to be stopped. And it's going to take a president up there who's willing to make those changes. We'll see. Justin Hart in for Andrea Crane. Andrea K. Telling you like it is while eating a donut, too. It's the Andrea K. Show on The Answer San Diego. Hi, right, the year was 1998. I was just a young pup out of college. I was uh, on Capitol Hill. I was not working for staffers. I was working for a vendor. And you have approved vendors who go up on Capitol Hill. But it was great because I got to meet a whole bunch of congressional offices. I was installing software for their constituent management services. Mail merge software, basically. And uh, I I remember where I was when the infamous Drudge Report dropped the story of Monica Lewinsky. I was in Jim Traficant's office. You remember this Democrat from New Jersey? What a character. He was kind of this blue dog Democrat, always skipping around. He had that great uh, toupee. And then he also had that fantastic line. He would always say, beam me up, Mr. Speaker. I can't believe that we're dealing with overspending. He had a great sort of rapport about him, and his office was really friendly. In fact, what you tend to find out is that those congressional leaders that you really don't like, that come across very caustic, even un-American, that's reflected all the way down to their staff. And the ones that are very jovial and interesting, perhaps crossing party lines occasionally, they're also very interesting staff. And uh, I remember we all kind of spoke in hushed tones about what was going on there. And uh, it was an interesting time. That 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 whole uh, cavalcade of uh, conspiracies and um, the just the scandals that beset that White House under President Clinton were something else, right? And of course, that was coming about right in the heyday of all things internet, independent journalism coming about. The actual broadcast of President Clinton's deposition. Uh, being put out, I think, almost live, where we're sitting there watching this on MSNBC being streamed and uh, thinking to ourselves, wow, what what is transpiring here? Of course, conspiracies and all sorts of interesting scandals are, are par and part of the, the course there. And, and it's a difficult thing to always be the same man in politics. Uh, I thought at one point I'd get out of it, but they always keep pulling you back in. So you know, I, I hope if you have a chance, you get a an opportunity to volunteer or to work on uh, a a congressman's campaign, a congresswoman's campaign, a senator's campaign to get them in the office. Think about what are the tools of your disposal, and really, that you know, there was a turning point for me. I had cut my teeth as an internet strategist during the first dot com boom and bust. You know, 96 to 2000 before everything went under for the first time. And um, I remember I, I helped build websites like Toyota.com, DuPont.com, Blue Cross Blue Shield.com. And I was so proud of the work that 
teams of dozens of people put in to design that thing and I, the efforts I put in to create incredible strategies around it. And two years later, the site has changed. All my work is gone. I can't even show that to my kids. It's just gone. And so I really wanted to make an impact. I think that's kind of what brought me to marry my internet skills to politics and try my hand at that. And so I, I, those of you know, I was on the, uh, the Mitt Romney campaign. And uh, I, it's actually a, a family friend, and I'd always been a, a very, very strong Romney advocate. I, I, I liked a lot of what he stood for. At least he was, when I met him, it was the most impressive thing. And that's, the, that's what I hear a lot about, and I can tell you from the politicians I do know. The person in front of the camera is sometimes very different than the person that you meet behind the scenes. And Governor Romney 101 was, was one of the best people I know. He wasn't the best candidate. They were always walking on eggshells. I don't think he's given the best advice by his advisors. Even now, especially now, I don't think he's given the best advice. But he was always the best man for the job. And I'll give you just one example. Um, we had lost the election. Of course, the, <laughs> the, the worst part about volunteering for a campaign is when the person loses, right? When the next four years didn't quite work out for my future boss, I was. Uh, I remember we were closing up shop the week after that. And uh, after we had lost, a few days went by and uh, the staff told us, come bring any paraphernalia or any sort of uh, tchotchkes, any sort of you know hats or what have you from the campaign. And, and Governor Romney will take a picture with you and he'll sign your stuff, right? Well, you know, 300 people plus on the campaign, it was really difficult for him to sneak, take a picture and sign your stuff. So they said, leave your stuff, leave your address. We'll have him sign it at you know the most recent opportunity he gets to it. And we went away thinking, we're never going to see that again. But I remember uh, I was in charge of a, a, a good portion of the tech team there, and I was closing up shop one night, and I saw that one of the lights was on in the executive room. So I went in there, and, and I saw this very familiar head of hair peeking out above all of this paraphernalia, all of these, uh, you know, bats that said uh, Romney Ryan, these hats and these number one figures and RNC and GOP. And he was there just a week after losing the election, dutifully signing everyone's stuff. Now, you can say what you will. Uh, again, I think that, uh, you know, he's, he's ill-advised by his advisors, but uh, he w definitely had a lot of good character. And I think that's something you should look for in a person. It's difficult to know, get to know them beyond the soundbite, beyond the television and what happens there. But it's vitally important that you talk to people that do know these folks that are running for president or these women that are running for president uh, and try to understand who's going to be the best banner bearer for our times. Because it really is about who you bring into the realm right now. How is that going to affect you, right? What are the issues that you're going to vote on? What are the ones that are going to bring you across the, you know, the, the finish line? And what will you sacrifice to get them there? It may be, and I want to open your minds to this, that there's someone from a completely different party or someone that you never thought would ever run for office and that this person is your issue person, you will go and you will fight for them. And I'm telling you, you're going to need to go out and recruit these things. 
there is no joyride unless you were born into politics to dip yourself into the pond and take a stab at running for office. You really need to have some type of gumption to do this, especially in today's environment where they will scrutinize you left and right. You're going to have to, you know, have uh, some type of steel backing. And usually that's the backing of friends. And then also think about where do you put your time and your treasure? I know this because I'm a fundraiser. I will tell you right now, one of the reasons why the midterms didn't turn out so well for the Republicans is they didn't earn your hard-earned money. And they'll, they, they won't admit it, but that's exactly what happened. You didn't give it to them because they didn't earn it. So more than your wealth, more than your mindset, more than your lip service, your time is the most valuable thing in your life. And so write down right now, go home, write down the three people you would love to see in office, whether it's your congressman, your local senator, your dog catcher. And then I want you to go out and I want you to tell them to run because that's what it's going to take. Uh, it, it won't do to have the same people rotating through the same last names rotating in and about this thing. We need fresh people who are willing to take that sacrifice. We've got to get back to those roots. It's part of our tradition. Fight about politics. Bring it to bear. But anyone can rise up to be the president of the United States. You know it, and I know it. Maybe that's you out there. Maybe that's you out there. Go write those names down. Go find those people. Take them by the collar and say, I need you to be my dog catcher. <laughs> we'll find it. I mean, look. The strays are everywhere in all levels of government. Someone's going to round these things up and take care of them. So glad to be with you today. Thank you for having me in your homes. We'll catch you soon. This is Justin Hart in for the Andrea K Show. Good night. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.